Today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to 14. This can be found in your church Bibles, page 1173. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to 14. Uh, page 1173. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessings in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect, when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Thank you very much, Mickey, for bringing us that reading. Hi, everybody. My name's John, and I'm one of the ministers of the church here. Just want to say um, how fantastic it's been this week to be gathered uh, with so many of you in our Zoom prayer sessions in the evening. Loads of people came. Great times. Uh, thank you for participating. And we're really keen to build on that as we go into the new year. We're going to be having weekly Zoom prayers every Monday evening, 7 till 8, starting from a week tomorrow. It's only an hour. You don't even have to leave your lounge. But it would be great if lots of us could get stuck in to uh, prayer for the church uh, in that way. So to uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and uh, I want to put a picture up on the screen just to launch things. We can have, here we go. If you are a Suits fan, I know it's a few years ago, but hey, um, then you will know this formidable legal team. On the left, Mike Ross, who is a fraud, but also a genius and quite a fun kind of fraud, to be honest. And on the right, Harvey Specter, who's not a fraud and is the real deal. 
He's alpha male. He's senior attorney for Pearson Hardman's law firm in New York. And Harvey Specter just never, ever loses. It just doesn't happen. Especially with Mike Ross as his associate and sidekick. When it comes to Harvey Specter, you may or may not want him as your friend. But one thing I can tell you for sure, you wouldn't want him as your enemy. But what's his secret? Well, Harvey Specter's secret is that he is always ahead of the game. He knows his opponent's worst secrets and is ready to exploit them. And he figures out their tactics before even they do. He's ahead of the game. And that's why Harvey Specter always wins. Now, what if we could live life ahead of the game? I'm not talking about always winning and always coming out on top. That's not the point. I'm talking about what if we could live life with the grain of the future so that we knew that our lives weren't wasted and we'd begun to understand how to live them well. How good would that be to be ahead of the game in life? See, I believe from the book of Ephesians that that is what God wants for the church of Jesus. Now, I know that's quite a bold claim and it could seem quite unlikely because, let's face it, in churches we often find it much easier to get stuck in the past than to live the life of the future, don't we? Mea culpa. But actually, the message of Ephesians is that God has shown the plan that he has for the future of the universe to us, and he has called us to lead creation into that future by how we live and relate and speak as the people of God, ahead of the game. That's God's big plan for the church, and it's a great place to focus uh, at the start of this year to kind of help us crank ourselves into life as the new year gets going. You can see it very clearly in verses 8 to 10. Let's just go from uh, just into verse 8 where it says, With all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. In other words, he told us what he's going to do. When? Verse 10, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. So at the climax of history. And what is it? What is it that God is going to do? End of verse 10, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under, or literally in, Christ. That's what God's plan is for the world. Now, it's very dense language, but it's actually incredibly good news if we can just get hold of it. Because what it means is that all the brokenness and the mess and the fragmentation and the culture wars and the hostility and the destruction and the sense of loads of stuff just falling apart, all this stuff is not going to have the last word in human history because Jesus is. And God's plan is to bring it all back to unity in him. That's the plan. And it's awesome. But God has shown that plan, that good news to us, because, and you can see this on in chapter 3, verse 10, that we'll get to in a few weeks' time. He's shown it to us because he intends that this plan to heal and unite and reconcile all things will be seen in the unity of the church 
now. Which is why chapter 4 begins telling us that our calling as the people of God is a calling to humility and love and unity. You see, you look all around the world, especially kind of today in this culture war generation that we're in, and it's very hard to believe that God has a plan to unite everything in Christ, isn't it? It just looks a mess. What's the answer? The answer is meant to be, okay, you may not see it in the world as a whole, but you can see it in the church, in its unity, in its love, in its life together. And that's essentially the message of Ephesians. And, you know, we need, to, we need a big dose of reality as we read it because, you know, the church is very imperfect and it's led by very imperfect people. And having unity doesn't mean that everything is smooth and there are never any hard conversations or never any mistakes. doesn't mean that. But it does mean that we work hard to get through those times and to persevere in unity as God's people. So that's basically where we're going in, uh, in this letter that we call Ephesians. Ephesians kind of sets out the scene for that message here in chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, in this kind of exuberant outburst of breathless praise. The whole of verses 3 to 14 is one sentence in the original language. And, and you can almost feel the passion that Paul feels for what God is doing in the world in Jesus, just kind of overflowing out of his heart, almost so that he hasn't got time to, to kind of stop for a full stop or a new sentence anywhere. It's just flowing out of him because he's so amazed at the plan of God and his place within it. And I guess this tone is struck because however challenging life may sometimes be, being in on God's plan like this means that actually we are the most blessed people in the universe. Have a look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Get that? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Being in on the plan of God puts us in that place of extraordinary blessing in the sight of God. And we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. Just a quick aside before we get there. Any of you who read up on the book of Ephesians will know that there's a whole lot of debates among the scholars about whether Ephesians was really written by Paul or by one of his disciples, and uh, whether it was for Christians in Ephesus, which is an ancient city in what we would now call Western Turkey, or not. Ask me about that if you want to afterwards. Scholars get very excited about it. Most of us probably a bit less so. As far as I can see, it's reasonable to see this as a kind of round-robin letter from Paul to a number of local churches in that area. If you want me to explain why, ask me afterwards. But that's how we're going to take it. But for this morning, I want to uh, start us to kind of tune into this message and, and feel the passion with which it comes to us as we look at these uh, verses 3 to 14. If you read through them, you can fairly quickly see it falls into three sections. Each one of those sections finishes with the phrase, 
to the praise of his glory or something like that. And the first section celebrates all the blessings we have from the Father, the second all the blessings we have from the Son, and the third all the blessings we have from the Spirit. So that's where we're going in this passage. And we'll see that each of those blessings enables us to be ahead of the game in terms of what God is doing in history. Number one, brought in, sorry, brought in by the Father. Brought in by the Father, verses four to six. Have a look at verse four. God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Brought in by the Father. He chose us. He predestined us. Now, I know very well that talk of predestination raises all kinds of interesting questions. How do our choices and God's choices fit together? How does the eternal God relate to space-time history? What does predestination mean for a God whose relation to time is different to our relation to time? Difficult questions, and Christians come to slightly different conclusions about the answer. But in the New Testament, the idea of God's choice is never bad news that holds anyone out. It's always good news that brings us in and holds us secure. So we're meant to enjoy this idea. And see what the Father's choice has brought us into. Verse 4, first of all, it's to be like God, to be holy and blameless in love before him. And second, it's to know God intimately. Verse 5, to know him as father, adoption to sonship, as he describes it here. In other words, men and women alike adopted by God into what Roman law saw as having the full rights of sons, whether we're men or women, the same status. So here it is. God has brought us in to be like him, to be holy and blameless before him, and to know him intimately as father. That, of course, is what we were created for in the first place. And it's what we've turned against and lost in what the Bible calls our sin, our rebellion against God. But this is what the Father is in process of restoring to the world. This is the shape of the future. People who know God intimately and reflect his glory in creation. And this is what the Father has brought us into now in Jesus. Now, just to speak a bit more personally, I wonder, did you ever wonder if your own parents really wanted you? Did they sometimes say things that made you question that? Maybe even you know that they didn't, and that pain lives with you every day. Or maybe it's not your parents, maybe it's friends and others. Did you ever ask if your confused and messed up life could ever have meaning again and really count for something when it seems so empty and pointless? Look, friend, to trust Jesus is to know that there is a Father in heaven who wanted you from all eternity, who paid the highest price to bring you home. That's how much he loves you. It is to know that he is ready to remake you into all that you were created to be. 
and to work you into his ultimate future so that you even begin to live a little bit of that future now, knowing him and reflecting his glory as you will do perfectly when Jesus returns. The Father's great love and it's brought us in that we may know him as Father and begin to reflect his beauty in the world. It's such good news. We are so blessed. We are brought in by the Father. And then second, in verses 7 to 12, we are brought back by the Son, brought back by the Lord Jesus. Years ago, I was uh, leading a small mission team to Poland, uh, and it was just a two or three week team, and I'd not done anything like it before. And to be honest, I made a bit of a mess of it. And uh, I ended up paying for a couple of team members up front before they'd actually definitely committed they were going to come. And in the end, they pulled out and didn't. And it meant we lost a bit of money, a few hundred pounds. I um, was a bit embarrassed about this. So I decided I would just cover the loss from my own pocket and not say anything about it, which probably wasn't a very wise idea because a few weeks later, my boss caught up with me and asked how the trip to Poland had gone and how all the finances had worked out. Was everything okay? And well, he asked me straight and so I fessed up. I expected a bit of a rollicking from him, to be honest. But what I got was forgiveness. And it was actually forgiveness with a smile and with the debt completely paid. I never forgot how good that felt. You messed up and you begin forgive, you've been forgiven. Not with that kind of, oh yes, I'll forgive you then. But forgiveness with a smile, an embrace, the debt covered, the shame gone. Well, if you take that up a few million notches, you begin to get something of the spirit of what Paul is saying here. Look, he says, we needed redeeming. That means buying back because we had walked away from God. We needed forgiving because we had sinned. That is, we had ignored God and put ourselves and our wants and our ways in his place instead. We needed redeeming. We needed forgiving. Big deal. As a result of that, we were neither like God nor in intimate relationship with God. In other words, the whole purpose of our existence was shot because we turned our back on the one that we were made to know and love. It's a mess. But Jesus came to bring us back, to bring us forgiveness, to buy us back, not just with a smile, but with a full, strong embrace that will never let go for all eternity. Do you feel the extravagance of the language? Verse 6, his glorious grace, which he has freely given us. Verse 7, forgiveness to us in accordance with the riches of his grace. You think God can't forgive me? Oh, he can. His grace is very rich. He's got plenty of it for all your mess-ups and all of mine. The riches of his grace. And that grace poured on us, not reluctantly and tight-fistedly, but verse 8, his grace lavished on us. Are you getting the point here? It's so wonderful. 
God doesn't want you just to tick a box that says, yeah, I believe I'm forgiven. No, he wants you to feel forgiven completely, lavishly, the debt covered, the shame lifted, the pain gone, his son running towards to rescue you, his arms opened up to embrace you, his love overflowing towards you. His blessing lavishly poured out on you. His future held out to you. And if something in you is saying, no, 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 it would be wrong to believe all that. I want to say to you, no, it would be wrong not to believe it because God says it. That's the kind of God he is. And he wants us to know it. Brought back by the Son. And it all centers, of course, on Jesus and the cross. Verse 7, in him We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. You see, the way that we ignore God and choose our way instead of his, it's serious. It does mean that the whole purpose for which he created us is shot. Forgiveness will require a price to be paid, a penalty to be borne, because God will not compromise his justice. But here's the wonderful news, that in shedding his blood on the cross, Jesus paid that penalty for us. Can you imagine the agony? Can you imagine the shame? But can you feel the love? Can you embrace this lavish forgiveness? But you know, there's an even bigger picture here than just me and my sin and my forgiveness. See, When relationships go wrong, you can never contain it, can you? There is always fallout when relationships go wrong. I've experienced that. We've all experienced it. You can't just limit it to me and that person. It always goes wider and the pain spreads and the hurt grows. And our broken relationship with God is just the same. The fallout affects everything. You can read about it in Genesis 3. Yes, it affects our relationship with him, of course, but it affects our relationship with people. It affects our relationship with the world that we live in. It even affects our relationship with our inner selves so that we don't know who we are anymore or how to relate to ourselves. It's all broken. But the great news is it's all going to be healed and restored through Jesus through what he did on the cross. That is God's plan, verse 9, and he's shown it to us. And it is, as we've already seen there in verse 10, to bring unity, not just between me and God, wonderful though that is, but unity to all things in Christ. All things, the whole lot is going to get healed. Friends, that is where the future is going. And God is absolutely committed to it. And because he's told us so, we can live ahead of the game. Living out now, imperfectly I know, but as best we can, some of the unity that will be complete and utterly, devastatingly beautiful at the end of time when Jesus returns. What does it look like? It looks like being reconciled to God. That's our spirituality, if you like. It looks about being reconciled to each other. That's community. It looks like being reconciled to ourselves. That's wholeness. And it looks like being reconciled to creation. That's stewardship 
and justice. Can you see how big God's plan is? Can you see how big the gospel, the good news is? And can you begin to see how this big gospel needs to be the foundation of our lives individually and as a church? This is the future. And this is therefore the calling now for the church because, verse 11, we are God's inheritance now. There's a bit of a translation problem in verse 11, and you can see it in the footnotes. Nobody quite knows what it's getting at. But as far as I can see, I'm fairly convinced that it should be translated, in Jesus, we are God's inheritance or God's portion. In other words, just as everything will be reconciled in Christ when he returns, so now we are reconciled to him in Christ. We're his inheritance. He delights in us. He sings songs of salvation over us and appoints us to live now for his praise and glory, verse 12. I'm feeling quite breathless. I think Paul was when he wrote this stuff. Forgiven brought into the plan, living the future, ahead of the game. That's what we have in Jesus. How can we be sure it's true? How can we be sure that we're included? Well, finally, verses 13 and 14, marked out by the Spirit. Marked out by the Spirit. I wonder if you've ever bought a secondhand car. If you have, you've probably had that experience of searching online or wherever in the newspaper and finding what you thought was the perfect buy, and then you turn up to look at the thing, and it's got this sticker on that says, sold. Do you know? And you think, ah, I've got to start all over again. Someone else got there first, and they paid the deposit, and so it's theirs for sure. With the deposit paid, the seller can be confident that the rest of the money is on its way. And so it's been taken off the market. It's kind of the image here, except it's not money that's at stake. It's a person, the Holy Spirit of God, who comes to live in us when we trust Jesus. And when he does that, he begins to prepare our lives for the future that God has for us. He grows our intimacy with God if we walk in step with him, as he pours God's love into our hearts. He grows our relationships with others as he teaches us to love. He grows our ability to live in wisdom and justice as he shapes and reshapes our values. He grows our wholeness as he begins to work on our brokenness and bring healing. It's that big gospel again. And as we experience him working in us, we are getting a taste of the future now. And just like the deposit that's paid on the car guarantees that the rest of the payment is coming. So when we experience the Spirit working in us now, it's the guarantee that the whole healing is going to be given to us when Jesus returns. The whole lot. It's the guarantee. It's the taste of the future. That's how we know that this is true for us, that we are in because we experience God changing us by his spirit. Friends, I hope you're getting a sense this morning of just how great it is to be a Christian and just how blessed you are if your trust is in Jesus. You're blessed because the Father has brought you in. 
You're blessed because Jesus has bought you back. You're blessed because the Spirit has marked you out. You're blessed to live ahead of the game, ahead even of Harvey Specter if he exists, because we know God's future and we can start to live God's future. And God's future lives in us by the Spirit. So can I ask you, are you in on all this? Have you taken that decision to put your trust in Jesus? Can you imagine what it would be like to be part of God's plan and to know that your life was part of putting back together the brokenness that messes up our world so much? God invites you in through Jesus. Put your trust in him. Do talk to our prayer team just down here at the front at the end or talk to me at the end if you want to know how. But if you are in already, can I ask you this morning, will you lift your eyes and open your heart to see all that you have in Jesus? Will you lift your game and embrace the calling to live the future now, to live ahead of the game with your brothers and sisters in Christ, not stand alone? And this morning, will you lift your voice in celebration? Because the Father has given us every blessing from the Spirit in Christ. And it's awesome to be a Christian.